is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long. So today I have a really awesome guest. I am sitting here in Matt Langston's studio. He is the front man of the band Eleventy Seven. He is the composer of the project The Jelly Rocks. And he's the host of Eleventy Life, which is an awesome podcast. I've been binging the third season of it lately, (laughs) the latest (laughs) season. If you grew up like me on Christian rock and going to festivals like Cornerstone and Ichthus, then Eleventy Life is for you. And Matt is also the one who provided all the music for my show. If you love the music, that's from the Jelly Rocks. You have him to thank for that. And he's also been holding my hand through this entire process and like mentoring me through the process of podcasting. So this show would be um, much worse or non-existent if <laughs> if Matt wasn't involved. I would I would be in a corner crying if it weren't for Matt. Stephen, those are such nice things to say. So today we're talking about gender and sexuality, especially homosexuality within the church, and. It seems like the climate in the church and in the wider culture is becoming more polarized. As the wider culture becomes more progressive, gay marriage becoming legalized, the church slowly coming around to support gay marriage and gay equality, the conservatives are becoming more extreme. Those who are left are doubling down and so we are finding this polarizing, this, this purifying of Christian communities where it's harder and harder to find someone in the middle. You're either one or the other now. A really great example of this is the Nashville Statement, the recent Nashville Statement. And I wanted to have Matt come on and read the Nashville Statement to me to get my raw response. I am a real-life gay person. I'm not a dead stuffed (laughs) gay person. I'm not a museum piece. I'm not a piece of theory in a book. I'm a real-life gay person living the real-life gay agenda with my partner day to day. And I have not yet read the Nashville Statement. Which is kind of surprising to me because I I totally would have thought that this would be like one of the hottest blips on your radar. It was, but also I was just so over it. Sure. I'm so over yeah. this conversation and I'm yeah. so done. And so I'm at the point where I feel like I'm at the point now where I feel like I can live my life without having to give an excuse for it. And so it's like I can right. I can wake up in the morning, make coffee and kiss my husband uh before going off to work and I don't have to defend that. Right. I can just be who I am right. and live my life. And so it, at one point, yes, this would have been the most important thing on my radar. The gay debate became my entire life. Yeah, I've, I've evolved beyond that now, where now the most important things to me are no longer that I'm gay, mm. but maintaining a healthy and secure relationship with my partner, being a good manager at work, being a good creator of content and writing and right. and loving the shows that I watch and loving the books that I read. That's the most important stuff to me yeah. now. And so I've, I feel like I've been integrated into my life now in such a way that this doesn't 
matter to me as much anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that's absolutely. where I am. Um, so that makes me really happy. <laughs> it's a good thing. Because I know, because I, I, I mean, I think when, when you were talking about um, everything becoming so polarized, it's like even even as you were saying, you know, the conservatives are doing this thing or, or that thing, it, it kind of made me think like, oh man, just how how much suffering do we inflict upon ourselves by defining things too quickly or saying or, or saying that no 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 these are the two camps that you can be in you know you're either democrat or republican you're either you know conservative yes. or you're a liberal or you're or you're somewhat progressive and it's like well, you know what if what if we just what would it look like if all of us just kind of got rid of all of that and just said you know what you're not a thing you are distinctly you and i'll never be distinctly you so i have an entire planet full of people you know, with an, with an infinite number of possibilities in their own mind and an infinite number of, of ideas and thoughts. Yeah. I mean, to put that in kind of into perspective, to give an example of that, one of the best things that was ever said to me, and there are actually several people who said this. So I was raised in the conservative church. Yeah. Two things I did not choose. I did not choose to be gay. I did not choose to be a conservative Christian. And so these two things were at odds with one another. So so how does it feel to have a to live in a world where there's a large part of the evangelical community that that one thing that you've spent maybe a lifetime coming to terms with, they sort of pull the rug out from under that and say no 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 no, you totally did choose. And that's what they believe about you. I they believe that you've made a choice, and that now you're somehow in denial of that. I feel like I've seen that play yes. out so many times. Yes, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about it. Yeah, I, and I don't even know if I can put all of it to words. On the one hand, it it really really hurts, mm. and that hurt just doesn't go away. Right. Especially because we're here in the South. It's a small Southern town that we yeah. live in. And the fact that, for example, I I have to take off my ring that symbolizes my partnership with Jonathan. Yeah. When someone comes into the store where I work, uh-huh. and I just don't have the energy to have that conversation with them. And I just don't have the energy to deal with that. Yeah. The fact that last week on the phone at work, I was called a faggot. <laughs> someone, Why? I don't know. Someone, <laughs> this guy on the phone, he said, you sound gay. Are you gay? And because I'm me <laughs> and honest to a fault, I said, yeah. And he said, faggot. And that happens, okay? And and I just hung up, and I looked at my coworker, and I was like, I just got called a faggot. <laughs> and on the one hand, that's on the one hand, I found it hilarious, right? And on the other hand, it genuinely hurt. Sure. And so, living in this environment, I've had to live with this my entire life. Yeah. And on the one hand, it really, really, really hurts. Yeah. On the other hand, I have learned now that I have zero control sure. 
over the beliefs of others. Yeah. I am powerless over the beliefs of others. Yeah. And there are... Or the bigotry of others. Or the bigotry of others. Exactly. And there are perpetual problems and solvable problems. Yeah. Solvable problems are the problems that you... It's exactly what it sounds like. They yeah. are problems that you can solve. Yeah. The perpetual problem. And by the way, the guy who came up with this is Dr. Gottman, and he uses this as a relationship, marital relationship therapy. Yeah. Perpetual problems. The classic example of a perpetual problem are the in-laws who don't approve of your relationship. Right. Right. Okay. But you can take that and apply it to the wider world. Sure. The fact that people are going to disagree with me, the fact that people are going to see me as subhuman, mm-hmm. that is awful. Awful. That is disgusting, and it will always hurt. Yeah. But I'm at the point now where I have the privilege and the freedom to not let that define my life. Yeah. I can let that be a perpetual problem. Mm-hmm. I can put it in a box, and it still hurts. It's still awful. But I I can live my life fully now in spite of it, or at least as fully as I can in sure. spite of it. But I would imagine it's a process. It is a process. Yeah. You know, now if, say if someone was a teenager and their parents sent them off to ex-gay therapy. Um, do you know what ex-gay therapy is? Oh, yes. Okay, good, good, good. I was <laughs> I was in ex-gay therapy as, as a teenager. We can talk about that Which later. For, for everybody listening to the podcast who may not know, most scientific data and, and even even people that have like – even churches and organizations that were pro ex gay yes. therapy have since come out and have, basically have said, "Look, this is a crock. It. This is this does exactly. not work." And and ex gay therapy is, I mean, to to, for lack of a better term, is the gay to straight therapy. It, it's pray the gay away, right? Either through prayer and conferences and reading and fellowship, or through more of like a, a counseling psychological path. And so there are different methods of doing ex-gay and therapy. And there's a great King of the Hill and South Park episodes yes, <laughs> about, there is. about gay therapy, if you ever want to look them up. They're, I, we, yes, they're pretty absolutely. pointed, yeah. Um, now, if you are a kid in ex-gay therapy... I would have a different tune. Mm. You, your life is being controlled by others, mm. and that is deadly. And that's where I once was. And so, so you, you weren't given a choice. I wasn't given a choice. Yeah. I well, you know, I was, but I didn't think I had a choice. Yeah, and I, th- I believed that this was sinful. I believed that it wasn't God's best for me. And so I, I, of course I had a choice, but it was a, it was a prison of belief. Yeah. And so I can say for myself, well, you know, I'm at the point now where, yeah, it still hurts, but I'm able to live my life fully. I'm just speaking for myself. Sure. I am not speaking for LGBT youth. Mm. I'm not speaking for LGBT adults who are in really oppressive Sure. Places. I am just speaking for myself and where I am. That I have come to, and and it isn't saying we should ignore the the damaging beliefs of other people. I got to the point where I was so fatigued, right? And I was very involved in the gay Christian debate. It got to the point where I just could not do it anymore mm. because debating my basic humanity yeah is a 
is is a is an exercise is a mental and spiritual and emotional exercise that's just monumental and going through that day after day after day after day after, yeah. day, after day online with commenters on my blog it got to the point where i had like this full-fledged psychotic breakdown because i couldn't do it anymore and, and welcome to the club yes thank you well you know i i have a psychotic breakdown i think once about once every two years sure um that's and so healthy. my and so my next one is due yeah. in the next year or so but <laughs> it got to the point where i just could not do it anymore and i had to retreat and build my own life i now have a a litmus test for how how personally threatened I should feel when someone disagrees with me. Sure. One, do you have the power to um, do you have the power to reduce my legal freedoms in any way? No. Okay. Well, then I'm not going to worry about that. Do yeah. you actively want to hurt or kill me or my partner? Right. No. Okay. <laughs> then why do I give a fuck? I don't care right. what you believe. Yeah. If you and and I have to do that because yeah. I'm here in the South, and if I didn't have that basic litmus test of who to be threatened by, I would be overwhelmed. And that's exactly what happened. One of the smartest things that, that someone told me one time that stuck with me for, uh, obviously, to this day, <laughs> to this very moment, yeah. um, what gets your attention gets you. Exactly. Matt, what gets your attention gets you you are what you think you are what you pay attention to so if if what gets your attention is constant controversy then you'll wake up one day and wonder where all your joy is exactly it's because you were completely focused on these black holes that will suck that is exactly what happened to me yeah and you know my identity was so wrapped up in what other people thought of me Mm. and that was I think that's just part and parcel of being raised a conservative Christian. Yeah. You are born codependent. Yeah. You are born needing the approval of this external church. Yeah. And you have to toe that line. If you don't, then you're not part of the church and your salvation is in question. Okay, so we're raised being unhealthily concerned of what other people think of us. Sure. So I was controlled my life was determined and controlled my mental well-being was fused was fused to what other people thought of me in the church and i could not be happy until everyone in the church agreed with me Mm. and of course that led to my inevitable breakdown yeah of course that was destructive and so you know there are people out there there are lgbt people out there who are called to wage this battle and that's necessary it shouldn't be the case that it's on the shoulders of a minority to prove to the majority that we're equal mm. that is unfair that shouldn't be the it it shouldn't be that way but unfortunately it is that way yeah and most People in a minority group can't do that. Right. We can't carry that burden. We're just trying to live life. Yeah. I'm just trying to be a, a good person of integrity and live my life with some some measure of fullness and get over the, yeah. the bigotry that I've survived. Yeah. 
I am now at a point where I think that the greatest argument that I can give mm. is rooted in living a full life. And that more than anything else convinces people. Yeah. That more than anything else is what will convince people. As long as this issue remains theoretical, as long as I remain this abstract concept on a piece of paper or on a website mm-hmm. um, that other straight people are talking about, that straight conservatives are talking about, or straight liberals are talking about, as yeah. long as I remain this theoretical thing, <laughs> um, no argument is going to matter. Yeah. Until they until they encounter my person. Well, that that's actually what kind of uh, that's what excited me about the proposition of doing this because I was like, as somebody. Um, who is very heterosexual, I was like, I think the more important thing is not so much, um, not so much that people start debating uh, all of these different points, but what if everybody were to do what we're about to do right now? And, and I should, I should preface this with like, I am not, um, I'm probably not as well-versed in LGBT issues as I should be um, or as I, I could be. I, I'm not a professional. Which I think actually is great yeah. because it means that you can be in the learning process. Yeah, like I kind of feel like here, I'm, I'm right an everyman. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that is, so what I want to do, kind of my my creative work, I feel like, is to just tell stories of humanity and the process. And mm. I'm more interested in capturing what the experience of the process is yes. like rather than coming to definitive answers. And yeah. that is what fascinates me. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in as an artist. And so that's kind of yeah. why I want to have this conversation because I know that you aren't an expert. I well, know that you aren't as well versed. What it kind of comes down to is like straight friend sorry, straight friend, gay friend. Uh-huh. So all the straight people Take this Nashville statement and sit down in front of your gay friend and read it out loud to them. I mean, and, re- and I see mean, how you feel about it then. I mean, make sure it's consensual. That, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I, that, right? You might lose that friendship yeah, you might. If, you do, if you just be oh. like, "Hey, I have this thing to read to you." Yeah, don't. don't yeah, but don't I, do that. I'm kind of. I'm expecting it to kind of be this very centering thing because it, very, very recently, um, I lost a job teaching at a college over these very issues. Yes. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm no professional in any of these things, but what I was being asked to do and to sign a document I was being asked to sign that sounds eerily similar to this one made me so uncomfortable and punctured my conscience to the point where I said, no, I can't. I believe that's unfair. I believe that's unfair to, to, to LGBT uh, groups, and I feel like that's unfair to other Christians. I feel like it's a constant pushing away of the world and saying, "No, no, no, we're 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 going to be over here. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to put up our own walls." And everybody who doesn't drink the Kool Aid, who doesn't want to become part of the tribe, you know, it, it becomes this really exclusive club that the people with the money and the power push everyone out of that that they feel like could threaten their money or power. Yes. And that's what it felt like exactly. to me and to a whole bunch of other professors that were at this exactly. college. And that that's actually why I wanted to – one of the several reasons why I wanted to talk to you specifically about this is because there is this purifying 
taking place in culture. Purifying is a term coined by, I believe, Jonathan Haidt, who's a moral psychologist, mm-hmm. um, so social psychologist, and he, just, he, he studies the morality of societies. And, and what he says is that purifying is when a, a community goes through this process of, of excluding, excommunicating anyone who has even the slightest disagreement. Right. We as a culture are going through that right now yeah. for various reasons. And so you are <laughs> the recipient yeah. of, of Christian purifying, which the Nashville Statement represents, but it's also happening in all of these local levels. And so I wanted to talk to you about that experience as well. Well, I, I kind of feel like I'm in this situation, and gosh, I am by no means a martyr. So this is not what that conversation sure. is. But and the discomfort that you experience is nowhere near the discomfort of nowhere like a gay near it. person. Nowhere but near it, it. it is it is a sign of your integrity that you are willing to go. But I think this. the thing that we may have in common is that every day that goes by and every issue that we face as a country or that we're exposed to, I kind of walk away from it thinking a little bit more. I don't know if Christians want me. Mm. I don't know if Christianity wants me or not. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was like that tiny thought that I was like, oh my God, it's just now, it's just now getting to me. Yeah. That like me as a straight white guy mm. and feeling that way, what has been going on? Like the entire time <laughs> with all these other people who've been marginalized, mm. like... How how do you feel about it? How, how does that make you feel? To use the therapist question, how do you how does that make you feel, Matt? Well, I was bullied a lot growing up. Okay, so I almost kind of feel like my I, how are you bullied? Just being different or quiet or not being okay. into the same things that everyone else was super into. Sure, or or kind of leaning more towards you know being being more interested in in art and music and poetry yeah. and um, expressive. Uh, activities more so than I ever was into sports. So I would just, I stuck out a lot when I was growing up Mm because I just wasn't into the same things. I was never like part of the tribe. You know what I mean? Like I never had my group Mm -hmm. of people that I super fit in well with. Um, So I I get it. And part of me is just like, well, you know, I think I've seen this before. I guess I'll just take my ball and go home. Like if you want Christianity and you want, you want to be right and you want to be the person that can walk around with the badge that's like, we believe correctly about the Bible and about Christianity. Part of me is like, we'll take it, fine. Sure. You can have Christianity. I don't want it. Yeah. Because Wh- whatever I have, I don't need that label for. Yes. Whatever, whatever I believe to be my relationship with Christ is not whatever this is that you have. Yes. Because like, I, I, cause it's, I want. I want more friends. <laughs> I right. want a bigger tribe. Right. You know what I mean? Like I want, I want, want to, to experience this, all of that. You don't want to be in that, in that small suffocating place. Well, that, and I don't have to be right. Created. Yes. I don't want, I don't want to be right all the time. I'd rather just have the conversation. Like, I don't know why it's so important for people to say, no, there's, there's only this way to read the Bible. There's only this way to understand it. Um, and that's one of the things that kind of made me mad about. You'd much rather be honest <laughs> than, than yeah, right. absolutely. Yes. Like, guess what? I doubt about a lot of stuff. Yeah, I do too. And I don't know. And and even the things that I that I consider to to be incredibly important, informative, and even sacred in my own life, at the uh, you can catch me on a bad day of the week, mm-hmm. and I won't know. Yeah, I just won't know. And I th- actually think that's part of like if you believe, if you believe that you were designed 
in that way for a purpose, then why was I designed to not be able to believe something fully? Mm. Why was I designed to always sort of magnetize myself to doubt? Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, that, that's my personality too, is I have always been a doubter. I've always been a skeptic. And so, you know, at, at this point in my life now, I, I feel like I've made this shaky truce yeah. with, with that part of my life, which feels kind of like a demon. It feels kind of like this, <laughs> this, this, it feels like the Babadook or something. <laughs> yeah. And, but I've, I've come to learn to live with it. And yeah. so now I have like one foot in the atheist, skeptic, skeptical world. Mm-hmm. And then I have another foot in the mystical, spiritual Christian world. Right. And, and I have learned to live in that uncomfortable place between the two. Mm. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned feeling like Christianity has left you behind Mm. or, or that Christianity might not want you anymore. Yeah. You know, I think one of the hardest things for me is the fact that I love the church. Mm. I love the church. Um, especially high church traditions. I love Anglicanism. I was, I, I almost converted to Catholicism. I love mm. Catholicism. But what really tore me apart was not that the church hated me. Yeah. Of course, many do. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they don't. But that wasn't what got to me. What didn't get to me was that they find me gross or disgusting. Of course, many do, but that wasn't what got to me because many don't. I I would say that there are a lot of conservative Christians who genuinely maybe like gay people but are bound by this ideology. Mm. And what got to me was that the church can't handle me. What Mm. got to me is that I feel toxic to this church that I love. The Anglican Communion, this ancient institution, this ancient pillar of the church, yeah. is destroying itself mm. because of homosexuality. Mm. Churches are splitting, are falling apart. Ancient institutions are crumbling in part because of people just like me. Mm. And that made me feel untouchable and unworthy and anathema mm. to the Christian world. Yeah. Especially when I loved it. Yeah. And that I just could not deal with. Mm-hmm. That I just could not handle. Uh, the this sense of I love the church and my very presence is destroying it. Sure. And Maybe it needs to be destroyed. Maybe it needs to crumble and, and kind of rebuild <laughs> something out of that, you know. But it, but it's incredibly painful to be the cause of that. I, I don't know what kind of hot water uh, I'll end up in for saying this, but like maybe it, as I've thought about this more and more, I kind of, I kind of feel like I, I might err on the side of being a bit of a Christian anarchist. Uh huh. Where. I'm always interested in kind of how, why things tick the way that they do. You know, like what's the, where's the battery? What's feeding the thing? Yes. You know, how is it working? What is it really built on? And I feel like, 
in order to experience what everybody tells me Christianity is, which is this life-giving community of love and, and purpose and meaning, I have to poke every single hole in it that I can because so like, I want to know so, what it's made of. So you're like the Joker. You're like an agent. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, let's put all the money in a pile and burn and it. And burn it up. That's I, Because I how much of what we worship much, here is money. I think that's yeah. one reason why we're friends. I think we're kindred spirits <laughs> in that way. Um, I'm fascinated by why people believe what they believe. We're constantly trying to prove to Gotham. <laughs> Exactly. That, what they really are on the inside. Exactly. Yeah. It just, yeah. But I also kind of love it. Yeah. I kind of love it because when you, when you go through those experiences, when you, I think when you have these conversations, like, like we're about to have about the Nashville statement, like it, you walk away from it, or at least I do. I always tend to walk away from it with either something that I hadn't thought of before, a more enriching thought ideas that humanize the other people around me. Um, and I, I kind of feel like that's where I derive a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. When I'm constantly progressing and my understanding of something is progressing, I feel peace. When I feel like my understanding is very stagnant or has just stayed in one place for too long, that that's when I actually kind of start to get anxious, when I start to feel like something's not right. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's just me personally, but I really enjoy it. I really do. It's one of the things that brings me joy in life is keeping the conversation going. Me too. So Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the Nashville Statement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do, do this. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> so for everybody who hasn't, um, <laughs> who hasn't seen this, um, it is quite a work of HTML5 art, um, <laughs> which I'm sure, I'm sure we'll put a link to this in your show notes. Oh, for sure. Um, so when, when you go to the website... Man, somebody put some thought and some money into the design of this. Um, it's it's big, bright, and yellow. You can't miss it. Um, there's a husband and wife icon standing next to one another that sort of responds to your mouse as you move across the screen. Oh my god, let me see this. It's very, it's very. Turn, turn your computer. It's around. it's so pleasing. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. See? They're they're like shimmying. Yeah. They're like. <laughs> <laughs> They're dancing together they before the Lord. They are dancing together um, around the national <laughs> statement. I think that's what they intended to do, to have oh, yes. <laughs> heterosexuals dance around the national statement. Um, it, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It comes complete with a preamble um, with a picture of, of the of what, I, what I call the, the Batman building in Nashville. If you've ever been through Nashville, it looks like Batman. Um, or, or like Bruce Wayne uh, could have built this, this building, and that's one of the icon iconographies of of nashville but they it also looks like they put an instagram nashville filter uh over the top of it as well to really drive the point home to the millennials that this is a nashville statement uh-huh we, we've taken a picture of nashville and then and we've applied put an, a filter as and we've such. put an instagram filter over it so so yeah. people will t- will instantly <laughs> accept it the moment you put you know a cool filter on it it doesn't matter what the fuck it says right right it's pleasing to the eye. It's pleasing to the eye, and so that clearly means that millennials are going to yes, love it. Yes, yes. Following that <laughs> is is a whole list of initial signatories. So for those of you who can't think for yourselves, hand there's me, hand me that notebook. Yeah, and, and there's pen. an evangelical leader that you probably know, um, or, or many of them who have signed this to to go ahead and make sure that you don't have to do any thinking about it. 
um, that you can just trust what all of these evangelical leaders have to say because they've signed it already. Um, yes. mm. Which I just find so arrogant. And then at the at the bottom of it, um, there's there's the uh, there's an option to donate, and it says in the months and years to come, the mission of CBMW, which is the uh, something for marital, uh, whatever. Uh, we'll, um, uh, it's like coalition for biblical marriage. Biblical marriage and. Uh, I don't know what the C means. We'll get it. Well, okay. as we, as we yeah, go we'll through this, it. oh yeah, coalition for biblical sexuality, or a coalition for biblical sexuality is what it says here. Okay. Um, there's a coalition for that <laughs> for everyone who can't figure so sexuality out on their own. Um, um, the mission of the CBMW will include distributing the Nashville statement and developing resources to equip pastors and churches to stand firm for the Bible's teachings on marriage and sexuality. One way you can be involved is to join us in prayer for the Lord's blessing on our efforts. Oh, good. <laughs> so, <laughs> As well as to make a financial gift in support of this very important work. So, so in typical Christian fashion... They're already saying, look, just in case we we hit a bump in the road, can you guys pray? Because we really need, like, it's it doesn't come from a place of and authority or power. It's like, can, can you guys keep praying that we can get this message out there? Because they're like, wait, come on, seriously? Um, yeah, and then make a financial gift. Like, yes. I'm going to pay you money to sit around and think about dicks all day <laughs> and to make a Hey, you can statement. pay me to do that. <laughs> I'm, I, t- I wish I got paid for that. <laughs> it just, I, I don't know. I, you have to find the humor in I this swear, kind of stuff. I swear, I think these guys think about dicks more than I do. I, that, well, that's it. I was like, it, it never ceases to amaze me the kinds of excuses they, that a bunch of white guys will make for getting together and making legislation about wieners. I know. <laughs> And it's almost never about vaginas. Well, actually, well, not lesbian vaginas. They don't. <laughs> they don't care as much. They really don't. They. You never. At least I rarely hear people Christians talk about lesbianism. Right. It's always about male homosexuality. <laughs> it, and I. And and yeah, we can get into that later. But we, so go on, continue. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other um, podcast. <laughs> I think would be pretty awesome. Okay, so it's broken down into articles. Okay. So okay. so this is so we'll just go through the articles okay. one by one. And so I'll 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 read the article aloud, and then you'll just kind of give me your guttural response. Okay, let's doesn't do have to be right or correct or PC, okay, just, just whatever. Um, so article one, we affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenant. Sexual, uh, sorry, a covenantal, sexual, procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife, and is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his bride, the church. We deny that God has designed marriage to be a homosexual, polygamous, or polyamorous relationship. We also deny that marriage is a mere human contract rather than a covenant made before God. Oh Jesus! So they're all, they're also like kind of denying that marriage uh, via government is a thing is a thing that God That's recognizes. Valid. Which uh, okay, you can make that argument, but it, but it's also kind of saying like we don't want to talk about that. Yeah, we want we don't want we it. don't want the chokehold on that. That's a whole other can of worms. It, we just want the chokehold on the biblical interpretation or, of or, what's happening. Or maybe it's saying that. 
that state marriage, civil marriage, is still spiritual. And therefore, that bib- their vision of biblical marriage trumps state marriage. Mm. And that's often what I hear yeah. in these conservative settings, is that their vision yeah. of biblical whatever uh-huh. trumps government. Mm. And is over government, and that's exactly what they believe. Yeah, and and there's a word for this. It's actually called dominionism. Dominionism is the extreme version of this, where they believe that the Bible should determine legislation. They believe mm. that the Bible should determine government and culture, and that's dominionism. It's right. very, very, very dangerous because yeah. it breaks down that division between church and state. And so I per okay. So my immediate gut reaction. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh God! I, uh, it's like, oh well, you know, I've heard this one million times. I've heard this a thousand times. I feel almost numb to it. Yeah, it's just like, oh fuck. I'm. Just, <laughs> um, I don't know what I feel in response to that. I, I'll probably. I would say it, it 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 hurts, but I don't even think it hurts anymore. I'm just so used to it. So just keep keep going. Yeah. Keep going yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'll see what comes up. So moving on to Article 2. Um, Article 2. We affirm that God's revealed will for all people is chastity outside of marriage and fidelity within marriage. We deny that any affections, desires, or commitments ever justify sexual intercourse before or outside marriage nor do they justify any form of sexual immorality. Okay, read that. Read the deny part yes, again. Yeah, me, there's a lot there. There is. Let me hear that one more time. A lot. Um, we deny that any affections, desires, or commitments ever justify sexual intercourse before or outside marriage, nor do they justify any form of sexual immorality. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, my first thought is, well, according to that, I'm fucked. <laughs> already. <laughs> um, already. We're article two We're on and article you're two out, and I'm you're out, out of the kingdom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, my first thought to that is I do believe in sexual morality. Yeah. And people seem to think that outside their little Christian bubble is this amoral (laughs) zone. It's this vast amoral void. And that's what they think the world is. And that's what they think I am. That's what they think the gay community is. I have a sexual ethic. I believe just as strongly in sexual morality as these people do. We strongly disagree about what that morality is. But I have a moral center. Mm. And I feel like something that has to be put down, something that has to be changed immediately. We have to put to bed this myth that gay people don't have a sexual ethic or that different cultures don't have sexual ethics. We are all moral beings. There isn't this dichotomy between moral and no morality. Is this true for you when I was growing up in in very like Southern Baptist uh, upbringing? It, it was almost like the the topic of sexuality was uh, married, so to say. Uh, yes. <laughs> with like 
every other type of perversion that you can imagine. So it's like if you if you were homosexual, you might as well also be a pedophile. Exactly. Like because the and that was sort of how they always made it out to be was exactly. that you you were either completely on board with this or or you're on board with none of it. And if you identify as being exactly. homosexual, God only knows what else. Like, yes. like what the depths of depravity in your mind what? must be. You know, I'm 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 into horse sex, and <laughs> I'm you know I'm fucking goats, and and I'm a satanist, and that's yeah yeah okay. I have a a moral center. Now, this is something that I've had to develop over time. Yeah, um, because when your moral center is determined by Gender complementarity, yeah, or gen- gender complementarianism, right? And in this in this conservative Christian setting, and you realize you're gay, and that and that process strips you mm-hmm. of of your of your moral center. In a sense, you you suddenly don't know what to believe anymore. You have to rebuild it. You have to rebuild that moral center. Yeah. So I discovered. I realized that I had to rebuild my moral center yeah. when. I I was going through my breakdown. I was grieving for the church. Mm. I was grieving for my relationship with the church and with Christianity. Yeah. Deeply depressed. And I became very, very promiscuous. I was sleeping around so yeah. much and dangerous. I mean, I and and at first it was awesome and it was fun and it was safe. Yeah. And then it started to kind of deteriorate for mm. me. And and I realize be, it was so deeply ingrained in me to believe, well, you know, a monogamous gay relationship, that's just as sinful as sleeping around. Mm. That's just, if you grow up with that sexual ethic, yeah. you are more likely to act out in dangerous ways. Right. Because... Why pursue a a healthy, safe, monogamous relationship with a secure attachment and safe attachment that will yeah. benefit you and the world and your partner? Yeah. Why do that when that is just as evil as <laughs> a, as a, as sleeping around, as being promiscuous? Yeah. When those are on a level plane, when yeah. when those are on a level plane, you are more likely. To act out in in dangerous ways and not practice safe sex, you are more likely to do harm to yourself if you believe that all homosexual acts are equally sinful. Maybe this is something that historically why why everybody has a hard time listening to the church on any matter of sexuality. Yes, is because they've messed it up. So hard for a long, long time. <laughs> yes, they for have. a long time. Like I, I feel like, I feel like especially for our generation, it yes. was like sex is awful. It's terrible. It will tear your life apart. It will, it will and separate you, you from God. It'll do all these different things, and it was never talked about in a positive setting. It was always talked about in this negative. And and your genitals are like in cryogenic freeze until you get married. <laughs> <laughs> Like, <laughs> right? Of course. I mean, and so you're, you are expected to not be human 
Until your marriage night. Right. And so you are not expected to be an integrated human being with sexuality, with sexual impulses, with yeah. with a whole sexual aspect to your existence. That is that is expected yeah. to be shut down uh-huh. until you get married. Well, that's not how it works. That's not how humans that's work. That's not how human beings work. That's not an answer yeah. <laughs> to anything. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I just need to, you know, when it comes to, to morality and sexuality, I have to say I'm, I'm biased towards monogamy. Sure. I believe in the moral value of building meaningful kinship bonds. Right. I, I believe in the moral value of secure attachments with another human being. Mm. Now, do I believe that it is normal to explore sexually? Yes. I think it is normal. Mm. I think that's a part of human nature. I think that's a moral gray area, honestly. Mm. That is not to say that I have no morality. Yeah. Is it loving? Is it kind? Is it compassionate? Is it safe for you and your partner? There is a hell of a lot of married sex, which I think <laughs> is incredibly immoral. Because it is not done kindly. Mm. It is not done compassionately. Mm. Why is marriage itself, why is it that when sex takes place within marriage, suddenly it's okay? Never mind if it's rape. Right. Never mind if it is coercive or unkind Mm -hmm. or shut down or detached or any of that. So my partner and I, we, I, I went from having sex with lots of guys mm-hmm. and being very promiscuous. I went from I went from that and okay, I feel like I I need to do a caveat because I know I'll get yelled at sure. for for sex shaming. <laughs> well, <laughs> talking what, about one but, of the really great things about what you're doing, Stephen, is just being really candid. Yes. Like we none of this is rehearsed. Like none, none of, of this it, was I, like forethought out. This and is I had just, no idea what I was gonna yeah, say coming into like this. Just like exploring it, yeah, you know, as exactly. it as it goes. I for me personally, at first it was you know, at, at first it sleeping around was actually I think healthy for me. Mm. It was and and most and most of the guys were were smart and fun and and kind and funny and so on and they were awesome yeah and great guys and it was therapeutic in a way and then very quickly it went south for me it was very destructive yeah. and and that was my trajectory i understand that 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 is not always the trajectory for other people right and I'm not going to tell other people how they should live their lives. I am personally dedicated to monogamy, and that is my personal moral ethic. Yeah. Now, I went from destructively having sex, anonymous sex, in a way that wasn't good for me. Mm. I went from that to having sex with one man who is safe and loving and caring and nurturing Mm. that is a redemptive progression Mm. that saved my life what is so often missing from these conversations in the church is the human element that we are sexual creatures and that for many of us it really is an option between self-destruction 
either in celibacy or in promiscuity yeah or partnership and that's very often the choice that we are faced with and that was the choice that i was faced with where i needed a partner with whom i could explore sexuality in a safe way sure and that is a progression of redemption now i'm and i'm committed to being with him for the rest of my life i'm he is i'm going to fight tooth and nail to be with him for the rest of my life mm. and sex is not the point right that bond is the point and that commitment to one another it's a holy order of two and i've made yeah. that vow to be with him we're not legally married yeah but i've but we have made the vow to do life together yeah. day by day by day and that relationship is adding years to my life. He is, he has, um, I don't know if I would be here if it weren't for John. Mm. And so that is my sexual ethic is that lived experience <laughs> of, if that, does that make sense? I feel like so many people have tried to convince me to, to deny what I have lived in life and know to be true. I feel like it was what was happening at, at Montreat whenever I left yes. there. It's just like, no, live some life. What are those lessons? What are those truths that are written into the universe that you only that you can only say are true once you've lived them, once yes. you've experienced them? Like yes. life is such an amazing journey to go on don't sit and look at a book to tell you what life should look like go live life and then see what the book has to say about it you yeah, know what i mean like exactly. ha get some experience like go 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 live go do something go make some mistakes go do something that makes you uncomfortable like have you uh, so I recently had a guest on the podcast and he is a a form he's a bisexual former officer of the Salvation Army and he was kicked out of the Salvation Army for being bi. He brought up the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Do you know what that is? <laughs> Your podcast is so smart. <laughs> I feel like my, <laughs> my podcast is kind of like, hey, guess what? We farted. And then it's like yeah, and and I'm here don't. the two of us are bringing that beautiful fusion together, <laughs> bringing that right. that beautiful conglomeration of farts and Wesleyan quadrilateral. Right, right. So Wesleyan okay, quadrilateral. Okay, so the Wesleyan quadrilateral. John West. Uh, it was one of the Wesley brothers. Um, came up with a the way we know what's true. Yeah, is through four pillars through through four foundations. Yeah, the first is tradition. Mm. What have those before us told uh, us? Right. That's that is one way by engaging with that that we know truth. Scripture, yeah. reason, uh -huh. using our mental capacity, right, and then experience. Mm. And it is that quadrilateral. It is those four things, yeah, through which Christians can determine what's true and not true. Yeah, yeah. it does seem like if one of them's missing, then something it's really hard to have us have a roof over shit your head falls apart. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> um, so. Fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. Well, Go on. We, we, we were talking about the Wesleyan quadrilateral and yeah. about experience um, and about how we, we're constantly looking to um, to 
to maybe the Bible or to sacred text to tell us what the world should look like and what we should change it into. Yes. Instead of just saying it was beautifully and wonderfully made yes. by the admission of, of the, the same book that we're all reading. Yes. Like it's pretty amazing. It is pretty beautiful. Like it, and it is pretty expansive. Go out and live it. Exactly. I kind of feel like the same thing that, that is mentioned in the Bible is something that like you can experience in the real world. Like I feel like a lot of those truths are written into they the are. way the world operates. I, I personally believe the semi heretical I, I have the semi heretical conviction that reality itself is a holy scripture. Mm, and that's interesting. That that reality itself is a holy scripture. And some a teacher of mine many years ago said something that has really impacted me. He said, scripture is meant to lead us outside of scripture. Yeah. Scripture is this bottleneck through which we pass mm. to, to enter reality. Yeah. And, and if we stay there, then there's something wrong. Yeah. And, okay, so here's, here's another thing to, to consider. What is kind of the classic definition of evil? To, make, to say beauty is ugliness to say good is evil to say that right is wrong to turn that on its head to say wisdom is folly to say that wisdom is folly yeah. okay so that that's kind of the a, 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 a long time understanding of evil well to the world what when when the world sees gay relationships working mm. when they see the kind of compassion and care and long suffering love right within the gay community yep they don't know then, what to do with it and then they look at the church and the church is saying that's wrong mm -hmm. beauty is ugliness yep health is destructive <laughs> they is it any wonder that <clears throat> that the church is per, is is perceived as this monstrous thing yeah because we because the church is is perceived as flipping things on its head. What is self-evident, what is obvious is that the gay, these gay relationships are good and healthy and good for them and good for the world. Mm. They are taking that obvious truth and flipping it on its head and saying, no, this is actually evil. Well, that in many people's minds is the very definition of evil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love it. I Actually, we're, we're blowing through time right now. Uh-oh. Um, we, we have... Two options, I guess, or as many options as there are uh, interesting thoughts. Um, we can we can always split this into a two-parter. Let's do a two-parter. If you want to, and then that gives you another. Yeah, that would be great. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Because <gasps> we've gotten be... through two articles. We've gotten through two articles, and we've been going for how long now? <laughs> um Coming up, it looks like we've it looks like we've hit an hour. Okay, I, I know that a That's lot of great. a lot of your years go a little bit longer than. But, do, but you know, people have actually been complaining that they're too long, and so let okay. let's. Let's listen to the people. Let's yeah, give let's, the people what they want. Let's listen to the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, we will see you in the next episode. We're going to keep talking about this. Uh, this is turning into a really long conversation, and so we're actually going to carry this over into another episode. So stay tuned. <laughs>